Hello. Hello. I'm looking at the back. Am I good to keep going? Yeah, brilliant. Okay, it's an absolute joy to be with you, genuinely. Um, this is an amazing place, isn't it? Like, you know how to do a weekend away. Let me just tell you. Like, this is, I've been to a few, but this is, like, way up there. Um, you've even brought the plants and, like, the trendy lamps and everything. And it's, like, seriously impressive. Um, John and Joe uh, and Kat and I go way back to uh, mid-2000s when we were all at St. Mary's Church in London. Some of you will have heard that story. Met some people who were also there. Um, a year after these guys came to Exeter, we well, went out to New Zealand to help plant a church. Uh, on one level, we got the better deal, um, <clears throat> except that I didn't get to stay by the seaside, and they did. So probably you got the better deal. Um, you probably know this, but I'm just going to tell you, just in case, or maybe you need a reminder, that you have in John and Joe two extraordinary leaders. It, it is true, and we've watched... Uh, from a, you know, sort of a step back, watch the joy, the joy of the ENC doing its thing, and um, so it's a real privilege to be here. Uh, I'm married to Kath. Um, there's a photo. I don't know how good it will be on that massive screen, but there's Kath and my three children. Uh, they send their love. Emily is 15. Zach is 13. Lucia, known as Lulu, is 11 next month. Um, and we have a dog, but I forgot to put the photo of the dog on. Maybe tomorrow. Um, uh, <laughs> Um, we're all just, I, I've had COVID, so I've still got the post-COVID cough. If I cough, it's not because I've got it. It's because I had it a while back and I'm all right now. Um, and we're just sort of navigating that. Um, I'm, as John said, I lead at All Saints Church in Worcester with Kath. She works for IJM, um, which some of you have connected with. And I think you gave us loads of money last month, uh, last weekend, which is amazing. So she's head of church engagement for IJM UK, part of the UK team. Um, and we are involved with new wine as well, as you heard. So what we're going to do tonight is just try and set the scene for what we're going to do over the, the next couple of days. So we haven't got loads of time, but I want to try and diagnose our moment, this cultural moment, this socio-political moment, and then look at really quickly what is the call on the people of God in the face of the reality of our world right now. I don't know whether you've had a look closely at the world recently, but it's in crisis. Uh, it's in real crisis. Uh, Ukraine is the obvious latest iteration of that, and we'll talk about that as we go. We've had COVID-19, haven't we? An unexpected global pandemic. Some of us loved that. Us introverts, lockdown one, what a gift. <laughs> I mean, finally, we got a break. It was just a joy, but even by end of lockdown two, I was going a bit nuts. Um, I think what COVID did is exposed and accelerated much of what was already there in terms of the problems and the flaws and the fractures in our world and in our own lives and in our churches, right? So we've got to pay attention to that, and we'll talk about that a little bit on Sunday, I think, as we think about what might look different as we go forward. But we, we are in a moment post-COVID, if we are post-COVID, post-pandemic at least, where we've got to pay attention, I think, to what God has shown us, what we've seen, what's been exposed and do some hard work internally, as individuals, collectively as the church, so that we can be this potent, beautiful people of God in and for the world. But it starts with us. We have to do the work here first before we can be of any real va value or blessing to the world around us. Now, let's add a few more things in, just so you paint the picture. There's a climate emergency. 
Uh, there's a racial justice problem. There's a Me Too problem. There's a growing inequality between rich and poor problem. We are uh, in a culture that's riddled with hyper-consumerism, which has led to an, uh, a kind of whole world of identity politics, which is super confusing and difficult. All of this has been caused or compounded by the end of Christendom, this uh, era in human history where the Christian faith and the church was dominant, not always in a helpful way, but where the prevailing culture was Christian and um, had underpinnings, at least, that were biblical. That's gone. I don't think we're post-Christian, but I think we're post-Christendom. And, and we find ourselves in what people are calling the secular age. I would argue, actually, probably um, we're now post-secular. Just as we were getting our heads around what it is to be in the secular world, I think that's gone, so keep up. Um, but the secular project, this attempt to do life without God, has not worked. Christianity, have you noticed, is uh, increasingly marginalized in our culture, increasingly maligned in our culture. It's hard, right? The encouragement from church history is that actually the church, she's always thrived on the margins. That we're actually better when we're not in the center of socio-cultural power. But it's hard, and we've got to make that adjustment. We haven't made it yet. There are shifting tectonic plates in the global uh, structures, aren't there? Economics, politics. We had this before Ukraine. We had the rise of Trump, all the stuff that Brexit was about. I'm not opening that can of worms, don't worry. I haven't got a can opener with me. But we've seen a shifting set of political norms, the, the balance of power now in China, not the USA, an increasingly liberal and conservative push to the extremes and a big gap in the middle. It's increasingly polarized in our culture, isn't it? And we are confused and conflicted. My friend Mark Sayers, uh, who's a pastor and a thinker, a total genius, actually, in Australia, says this. Western culture is a failing, secularized revival, entering a moment of doubt. Now, he wrote this a couple of years ago. He would say, if he's here, we are now in that moment of doubt. Secular revivalism, he says, fails because it wants progress without his presence. It wants the kingdom without the king. The secular project is an attempt to do the kingdom of God without the king. It's, it, and it's, it's failed because it's impossible. And I think that is the best diagnosis of our cultural moment that I've come across. So all of this leads to deep cultural anxiety, deep cultural exhaustion, a, paral a paralysis in terms of knowing what the heck to do. And, uh, and, uh, and it's easy to just sort of read that and think, well, that's the world we're in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that gets played out in our lives in our hearts, in our heads, in our churches, in our families, in our workplaces, in our universities, in our schools, in our streets. You know it. You feel it. And so part of the pandemic was good because it gave us a break, but actually what it made us realize is, man, we are in such a mess. I don't know how the pandemic was for you. For some of you, it will have been fine. For others, it's been devastating and everything in between. And so we are in this moment where I think we have to, as the church, say, God, what are you saying to us? Welcome to ENC size. <laughs> How are you feeling? I mean, like, after that, come on. It's quite a lot to contend with, isn't it? But that is the reality check we need in this moment, I would argue. Now, there is good news, you'll be pleased to know. Because it's in this world, this screwed up, messed up, confused world, that God is asking the church to be his people. 
in such a way that his world can come into this one and bring transformation and, he- and healing and uh, renewal and redemption. It's in and through the church that God wants to do something powerful and significant in this time. Why do I know that? Because that's how God always works. God's covenant promises to his people are binding. He said, it will be through my people that I will usher in the redemption of all creation. That promise hasn't changed. The task looks different. It's more overwhelming than it's felt for a long time. We don't quite know what it looks like. We don't really know what we're doing, if we're honest. We're trying to read, aren't we, and make sense of the world we're in. Just as we thought we were getting our head around things, then Putin goes and invades Ukraine. It's like, this is volatile. In and through all of this, we need to be, as the people of God, preparing ourselves for what he wants to do through us. And that means letting him do it in us first. Does that make sense? Because he wants to send the church in these days, I believe, to do an extraordinary thing. Many of the prophetic voices were saying three years ago, and before that even, that something was brewing that the Spirit was up to something, that he wanted to move in power, that some new move of the Spirit was coming, a renewal was going to come to the church. And and then through that, hopefully some form of revival. Lots of people were saying that. And Mark Sayers, who I mentioned earlier, he's done a lot of work on this, saying actually that, that renewal is always preceded by crisis. People only change in crisis. How many of you came to faith in the context of some crisis in your life? I did. And the world changes in crisis because it pays attention to the mess. God never wastes a good crisis. And so any move of the Spirit is always preceded by crisis. We are in crisis, so we should be expectant that God wants to move by his Spirit. Now, it doesn't guarantee it, but these are the conditions in which God's like, yes. And so what do we do? Well, we position ourselves so that he can use us because it's through the church that he does that. And so prayer is really important, and we'll come back to that tomorrow. But any move of the Spirit is always birthed in and sustained by prayer. Prayer, prayer, prayer. It's always prayer. So that's one of the priorities for the church in these days. As I say, we'll look at that tomorrow. So the question I guess I'm asking always at the moment, and and we're having this conversation uh, in Worcester, and I know you're having this conversation because we've kind of briefed each other on this, is, okay, so what's that going to look like? What's that going to take? How are we going to do it? There's one thing you need to hear before I go any further. Each and every single one of you is needed. Like this, now more than ever, this is not a time to make up the numbers. This is a season in which you've got to decide, are you really in? Because it's going to cost more. But if you go for it, you will get to live this great adventure. I think this is the most exciting time for a long, long time to be a Christian. I think we could potentially see some extraordinary things happen. I really believe that. And I want to get really old. I want to be sitting with John and Joe on the back row at some new wine conference. Can you remember when? (laughs) Um, No, not really. I do. Um, So... The biblical picture for this is all the way through the scriptures. There's a theme that weaves its way through right from Genesis 1 all the way through to the end of Revelation. And it's the theme of exile. And we'll unpack that as we go. We're going to look at Daniel tomorrow morning. We look at four priorities that we need to have that we see in the life of Daniel, who lives this extraordinary life in a cultural moment not dissimilar to ours. God does extraordinary things through him in Babylon. 
And this theme is woven all the way through, as I say. We hear it in the language of Paul. So Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 20, you know this one, many of you, we are citizens of, I know you thought Devon, but it's actually heaven. And you are also citizens, many of you, of Devon, I know. Uh, We are citizens of heaven. So our citizenship is not here, it's in heaven. But we are here. We're on assignment. Actually, some theologians would talk about dual citizenship. We have the citizenship of heaven, but we have this earthly calling, this side of the return of Jesus. We're placed here. He goes on to talk about us living in such a way that through us, people would see what God's up to. Peter, writing to uh, his Jewish context and the Gentiles there in Jerusalem, says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. He, talks, he says, to the foreigners and exiles. And they're thinking, we're not foreigners and exiles. We live here. We're Jewish. We're Gentiles. We're not foreigners. We're not exiles. But in his mind, he has the biblical landscape. He has the biblical lens. He knows that if you're in Christ, you are a foreigner, an exile. You're not really from here. You don't really belong here. Not in this version of earth. Not in this world, the pre-return of Jesus world. So notice what he says. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. And he goes on to say, to live in such a way that people see what you're like. Uh, in the, in uh, another translation, it is temporary residents and foreigners. You are temporary residents. It, it's that weird thing where this is where we live, and this is our home, and we know there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. So on one level, it feels like we're home, but we all know that disconnect of like, but it's not really. Because this isn't the version of home that God has for us. It's not as it's meant to be, and it's not as it will be. And we're meant to feel that disconnect. We're meant to struggle with that. If you don't struggle with it, dare I say it as the guest speaker who can come in and say these things, that that you probably need to think about why. We should be so far into the things of God that actually it's hard on one level to live in this world. Because it doesn't conform to the norms of the kingdom of God yet. So this theme of exile weaves its way through the scriptures. We see it actually in the life of Daniel. Uh, You know this story, many of you, the people of God, the Jewish people are taken captivity into Babylon. So the Babylonian Empire under King Nebuchadnezzar takes Jerusalem, finally, and he takes a lot of the, the best with him back to Babylon. Babylon was the biggest empire in the day. It was the biggest city in the known world at the time. And, and they find themselves in exile. This is what God had said through the prophets was going to happen because they weren't faithful to him. He said, there's going to come a time where you're going to get taken out into captivity because you've not been faithful to me. That's the, that's the cost. That's the punishment. And, and so the Jewish people who are there have to navigate this exile reality. They find themselves living somewhere that they don't belong, missing home, yearning for home. And actually what the biblical writers did when they started to put together the Old Testament as we now know it is they realized with that experience of being in exile somewhere physically, geographically, that this is one of the ways we make sense of Genesis 1 and 2. This narrative. That actually the real exile began when Adam and Eve, humanity, have to leave the garden. They find themselves taken away from home because of their sin and their brokenness. Because there's been this invading force. There's an invading force of Babylon, the Babylonian Empire comes into Jerusalem, takes them. But there's an invading force in the garden, isn't there? The snake, the enemy, who comes in and takes them captive. And they realize, oh, this physical Babylon, this, it, it, this is, is a kind of a motif, if you like, 
of the spiritual exile that we're in. Which is why when they find themselves back in Jerusalem, down the line, the Persian Empire lets them go back. They still realize they're in exile. They're still far from God. They're still not where they're meant to be. They're still not who they're meant to be. Side note, that's why Paul says our battle is not with flesh and blood, but with the powers and principalities. We are all in exile. We are all in a form of Babylon. We live in a world, we live in an empire, a Babylon, in this day, a 21st century version, and we feel that disconnect. We're in exile. But our battle is not with this one, which is why Twitter comes with a health warning, because you can end up getting really angry. But actually, our fight's not with politicians and people who have different views. Our fight is with this ultimate evading force. And I think that's a really helpful lens for making sense of Ukraine, by the way. Because what we're seeing again is an invading force going in and taking something captive. It's evil. It's fundamentally evil. It's an expression of the real battle that's going on behind the scenes that we can't see. Are you with me so far? I know you. I realized you sh- I should have said, feel free to go and get yourselves a pint. I would have <laughs> um, totally wouldn't have minded at all. But um, maybe can't do that tomorrow morning. Um, okay. So I'm trying to paint a picture because what I want us to realize is that um, you and I are called to do what Daniel and his friends do, which is reconcile ourselves to the reality that we're placed in a world on behalf of the things of God that we don't really want, we don't feel like is home. But we have to make it home in such a way that something of the things of God can come to bear through us. That's what Daniel does. And in and through Daniel, God does these amazing things. And so why not, through you and I, in and through us, God can do some amazing things. We have a choice to make. Historically, people have always responded to the brokenness, the mess of the reality of human experience, however they make sense of it, Christian or not, with one of four responses. Number one is to fight it. We fight. That's what the zealots were doing around Jesus. They're fighting. No, resist the empire. In those days, it's Rome. Although notice Peter at the end describes it as Babylon. He's writing from Rome. He says, I I send greetings from Babylon. He understood that the Roman Empire was Babylon in his day. Does that make sense? So one of them is to fight. The second is to control. We try to control things. That's what the Pharisees were trying to do, control things so, so that we can make them like God wants them to be. The third option is to withdraw. That's what the Essenes were doing. Uh, We kind of opt out. And then the fourth option many have is to compromise. That's what the Sadducees were doing. Four options, fight, control, withdraw, compromise. We see that in our day. Fight, that's the socialist endeavor. Control, that's what dictators do. Withdraw, that's the digital nomads. You know, let's just buy a van and just not actually live anywhere, not commit to community. You know, some some of you are like, awkward. Um, uh, (laughs) There's a place for that, but just don't opt out. Uh, And liberal democracy, it's all about compromise. Lots of compromise. And we see all of that in the church, don't we? I'm nearly done, don't worry. But we're different. The people of God are called to do a fifth thing. It's to engage. It's to engage with this reality on that reality. To live from heaven into this earth so that through us the kingdom of God can come. We are geographic exiles still, but we're not spiritual exiles. We live now in and from the the, the things of God. We're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We go in his name and we go in his power with, uh, with all authority. 
to usher in the things of God. It's very exciting. It's actually really exciting. And we do that by operating, living out in such a way that we are a faithful presence in the world. That's the theme for the teaching. We're faithful to God. We remain faithful to God. That's things like holiness and obedience, all that sort of stuff. We'll look at that tomorrow. We remain faithful to him, but we, we are at the same time meaningfully present in this world. And, and often we struggle as the church to do both. Bits of the church are really good at being present, but they compromise in the process and lose the distinctiveness. Others are really good at remaining faithful to God and holy, but they withdraw and they hide. And the challenge is to do both, to be faithful and present. That's what Daniel does. That's what lots of others do. And God works through that. So we're going to ask the questions. What are the priorities for you and I? And what are the possibilities? So priorities tomorrow, possibilities Sunday morning. Let me finish with a quote. This is Paul Marshall. He's a theologian. He says this. This world is our home. We are made to live here. It has been devastated by sin, but God plans to put it right. Hence, we look forward with joy to newly restored bodies, good news for some of us, and to living in a newly restored heaven and earth. We can love this world because it is God's, and it will be healed, becoming at last what God intended from the beginning. I hope that makes sense. Take a deep breath. We're going to pray in a moment. But what I'd love you to do is just go, okay, what struck you? What's the Spirit saying to you? What leapt out to you? Or, or maybe what the heck is going on? I know I do what he's talking about. Just take a moment just to tune in before we move on. And I'm going to ask you a question. the question what's your reaction what's your response to that i'm not going to ask for feedback don't worry but but my guess is that there'll be some of us in the room and you're like yes come on i'm up for it where do i sign up i'm in and that might reflect the fact that your uh, last two years have been a bit easier than for others and there'll be some of you if you're really honest who are just like do you know what in my head yes that sounds great still just getting my head around what on earth we have just been through there's so much stuff that i've got to pay attention to that's okay that's absolutely okay because we're all in this together some of us have got more stuff to work through but here's what i would say the lord is calling all of you all of us to the church in these days and so if you found yourself struggling at the moment if you've got stuff to work through work through it and if you haven't help them your brothers and sisters work it through in reality, we've all got stuff, right? Because I think the Lord is calling us. And I think what he's doing in this season in the church is preparing us. I don't think he's going to let us go and do. I don't think that's part of why we're still working out what on earth church might look like. I think God isn't speaking because he wants to do the work in us first so that when he sends us, we're ready. 
So it's not a passive waiting, twiddling our thumbs. We're up for the renewal revival bit, but uh, can we skip the bit about me? He's not going to do that. I think he's saying wait. So it's not a passive waiting. Do you remember the early church? They're waiting for the pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost. What were they doing? They were praying. They were preparing. This is a season of preparation. So, if you're able, would you stand? And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to minister to us because it's all a work of the Spirit. And um, I don't know how you guys normally do it, but what I always do is just, uh, I find it helpful just to put my hands out and close my eyes. I close my eyes because it helps me concentrate. I put my hands out to remind me that I'm... I'm here to receive a gift. And that actually I come empty-handed. I'm not, I'm not bringing anything at this point to God other than who I am. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that empowered the church at Pentecost is the spirit that is breathing on us today in this Kirkstone room. And can I just encourage you to do two things? Number one, in the quiet of your heart, just say, come, Holy Spirit. That super ancient prayer. I think that really matters because then he knows you really want it. Rather than I'm just saying it from the front. Come, Holy Spirit. And then the second thing is just to be honest with God about where you're at with this. If you're at that one end of the spectrum of like, yes, I'm in, I'm so excited, that makes sense. I've been thinking the same things, been praying that stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then just say that to God. You might be here thinking, it's a minor miracle, I'm even here. I'm just hanging there. But but I'm here, God, and I want to get to that point where you can, where you use me powerfully too. And many of you will be somewhere in between those two extremes. That's totally normal. Where are you at? Quiet your spirit upon us, God. Quiet your spirit upon us. Two things always happen in this moment. Number one, uh, some of us start thinking, uh, yeah, but you see, God, the thing is, you don't know about dot, dot, dot. Or the thing is, God, I can't because I've got this stuff that I haven't dealt with or whatever. Um, That's not how God works. Uh, And the other thing is that many of us just think, I'm not sure what to do. (laughs) And that's okay, too, but... That's all part of the response to just say, God, I, I'm going to push past those hesitations, those questions, and offer myself anyway. So it might be helpful. Uh, there's not loads of space, but there's actually there's a bit more at this side. Can I just encourage you? If you, if, if you know that, um, like if, if you're in that first category of like, yes, come on, uh, we're going to pray for everybody, but if we're going to start with this one. If you're like, yes, come on, I'm in, give it to me, God. Why don't you just come and find some space at the front? Just come and kneel or stand, and, and we'll come and pray for you in a moment. 
I know that the prayer ministry team, people have been trained to do that. If you could come out, that would be great. Someone has to come first, right? So just come out. Um,